Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having a great day. You are in for a very special treat today. As you have probably noticed, my interviews keep getting longer. I'm not sure that they will apply for a 5K run anymore. You're going to have to walk a little bit out there or go longer. But the reason that my guests are just, they're just too incredible. I can't, I can't cut them short. Once we get started, it's, it's really difficult to stop, at least for me. <laughs> and today's guest is a perfect example of someone I just wanted to keep talking to because everything she said basically qualified as a final nugget. Let's just say we could create a book of quotes from Janelle Smiley to help motivate, inspire, and help you feel less alone in the world. Janelle is a world-class athlete and a world-class person. As an athlete, she's a three-time national ski mountaineering champion. She's an expert skier who owns some epic first descents in multiple countries. She's also an expert climber who has done some first ascents, as well as being the first team, she and her husband, to climb all 50 classic climbs of North America. In other words, she's a complete badass. Now, as a person, she's a trained life coach who offers holistic life guiding to help you discover and attain your unique, extraordinary life. So, Janelle, basically, she's the full package. Obviously, you don't become a life coach and a life guide after a life at a high-level athlete as she has had without having to do some serious deep thinking to determine that that's where you want to end. So get ready. It's a good one. All right, let's bring her on. All right, Janelle, you ready to rumble? Let's do this. (laughs) You are a very busy woman. Thank you for carving out time for me today. Our listeners are going to freak out about this incredible episode and your journey here. I can't wait to dig in. But first of all, what has been taking you off the grid recently? Let's see. Recently, I've been mountain guiding, and then I just recently ran up the Teton Traverse and did this big this big mountain traverse. I don't know how else to call it, where you cover 13 peaks, 34,000 feet of elevation gain over 16 miles and it's right out my back door and wait what's it called the Teton Grand Traverse so this is like a known event there is like a starting line and a finish line <laughs> there is it's very very it's a very sought after objective and a lot of people will hire mountain guides to take them over this Grand Traverse and it's normally done in three days and how how fast did you do it I did it in 12 hours and 17 minutes. Oh, my Lord. 
Has anyone, male or female, gone faster? <laughs> so there was a record in, I believe, 2000 that was 12 hours and 26 minutes. So when I was, I didn't go out to set the record. I just wanted to see how fast I could do it. And as I was getting close to the car, I was like, holy cow, I just might beat the record. And so once I hit the trail, I started sprinting. And I sprinted the last four miles so I could get under this time that has been standing for a while. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you've been out for 12 hours. What does a sprint look like at that point? Is, it, is a sprint like a 12-minute mile, or are you actually, like, booking? Um, it was actually more like a six-and-a-half-minute mile. Oh, my Lord. All right, everybody. We are clearly talking about a real athlete here, okay? Not that everybody listening isn't a real athlete, because we all are going after our goals and dreams, but this is someone with some talent, Janelle, <laughs> this is a really great way to set the foundation for today. I mean, first of all, just with this event that you just did, the Teton Grand Traverse, you call it a very sought-after goal. But I can guarantee that a lot of the people listening are like, that's not a goal I want to hit. What kind of person, you know, what is it inside of you that makes you want to do something as crazy as this sort of event? Well, I believe you have to be quite mad. <laughs> and what does quite mad mean? <laughs> oh, just, I was thinking more like Alice in Wonderland, the Mad Hatter type of mad. Um, you just have to enjoy suffering and in some way find motivation and find, makes it, I don't know, for me it just makes me feel alive when my heart's pumping, my mind is engaged, I'm emotionally just present. I don't know, it just encapsulates the entire body to do something at this speed, um, at that level, to do it that fast on terrain. That's that, that that's, requires everything, really. Can you, you said it makes you feel alive, right? I mean, we're all alive, but are there levels of feeling alive? I think when you truly feel alive, it's when you're fully present. You're not cooking dinner in the back of your head. You're not planning a conversation that you wish you had or already had. You're just fully engaged in the moment. And doing a traverse like this requires that because you're on technical rock up to 5'8". My partner and I, we were not using ropes. And so every move you make, you have to be fully engaged. You can't trip. You can't make a mistake because your life depends on it. Wow. You know, that's, I think in general... That is one of the things that sport brings us. Not everybody is going out to do a three-day adventure or in your world, a 12-hour <laughs> record-breaking adventure in order to really clear the clutter and get present. But at some point during a workout, there's this magic moment where the clutter does clear and you realize you're really not thinking of anything. Would that kind of be a moment where you really do feel alive and present? Absolutely. It's almost as if everything is just right with the world in that moment. It's like a drug, huh? I truly believe it is like a drug. <laughs> so let's talk about this a little. So when did you get addicted to this very special drug in your life? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I was always in the sport growing up. I grew up in Uray, Colorado, so I was just surrounded by the mountains and my brothers were super athletic, and my mom was always encouraging us to go run around the house or go run up a mountain because we had entirely too much energy. And so I was on the cross-country team, and I remember 
going to practice and the coach would tell us to go run for an hour and I'd run to the ice cream store and eat ice cream. And then once practice was over, I'd run back. So I was never really that motivated. And then this one girl would always come in before me during the races. And my dad's like, Hey, I'll buy you a car if you beat her. And he said that to me when I was 15 and a half, because he knew I couldn't beat her because I never have. And so that was the first time I ran as fast as I possibly could run. And it was like, I don't know, at the national maybe it was regionals, I don't remember. And I came across the finish line and I went so fast that I ended up beating her and I crossed the finish line and threw up over everything. And that was the first time I actually suffered and I kind of liked it. So let's, let's talk about a couple things. Number one, did you get the car? <laughs> uh, my dad had to backpedal with my mom quite a bit and he's like, yeah, 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 no, no, it's, it's the kid's car. I'm buying the kids a car. But yes, I did get the car. <laughs> wow, that's freaking amazing. And it taught your dad a lesson too. I think. But really what it showed was that you were not tapping into your potential and you needed a little extra motivation. I did. And I didn't know what it was in that moment that, you know, I was willing to push it that hard. Well, I think I do now. But at the time, it was like I did. I just I needed someone to believe in me or someone to like push me. And I've I've never wanted to consider myself competitive, but I've learned to recognize that I am ridiculously competitive. Um, let's talk a little bit about what it, I guess, I'm not sure if it's a, um, a, a an effect of being competitive or the opposite. You mentioned the word suffering a few times today, and we generally define suffering as something negative, right? You have to get through it. It hurts. It's pain, um, emotional, physical, whatever. What is it about this word "suffer" that you're drawn to, and does it have to be negative? Do you see it as a negative? Well, I think there's lots of forms of suffering in this world, and I think athletics is an interesting one because it's self-inflicted suffering. You know, like we bring this upon ourselves, but like I mentioned before, we bring it upon ourselves. For in my case, because it makes me feel alive. And I feel like there's a certain level of growth and development that can only happen through suffering, whether it's self-inflicted or it happens because of life circumstances. But I think it's almost like the fire is refining you through the suffering. Like it gives you grit. It helps you realize what you're capable of, helps you to reach your potential and realize sometimes things just don't matter. And things that do really matter, I don't know, it just puts things in perspective for me. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, do you think that you can still hit breakthroughs in your life and evolve and go to the next level if you don't have to suffer? Nicole, that is a great question. I would like to say you don't have to suffer to get to that point, but I think you, I think in some sense you do, whether it's an illness, an injury, a loss, sport, self-inflicted. I think there's, I think we could maybe change the word if we wanted to, because suffer does have a negative connotation around it. There's definitely other words we could use that have the same meaning, but maybe aren't negative. Let's see what those would be. Maybe breaking barriers or going past the limits of what we think is possible. I like that. I know. Or in our heads, we can just create a little paradigm shift and change the way we think of that word. <laughs> There's a Absolutely. lot of ways to look at it. Oh, let me give you a great example. 
So I, this was, I don't know, maybe a, a decade ago, I'd never been benighted. And benighted basically means when you go out on a long mission and you have to stay overnight, whether it's planned or unnight unplanned. Usually if it's unplanned, it's called an epic. And if it's planned, you you know you're going to get benighted, but you plan on not bringing the proper equipment. Like you don't bring a sleeping bag, you don't bring a tent. You're just like, okay, I'm going to shiver, baby, or I'm just going to freeze through the night because I want to do this objective light and not have to carry all that stuff. So we are climbing this mountain called Mount Robson right outside of Jasper, Alberta. And we knew that the climb was going to take longer than the daylight hours so we knew we were going to get benighted but we didn't want to carry all the weight and I was really fearful of getting benighted because I was I was afraid of being cold I was afraid of like what happens in the dark but we just decided we were going to get benighted and we're going to do it and so we went out we climbed through the daylight it started getting dark and sure enough we couldn't see where we're going so we dug a snow cave we're sitting in there shivering freezing get cold enough that we build another snow cave and then by the time we build the second one and get in it the sun comes out. And so we spent the night moving around digging this cave, and so we basically got benighted. And after that experience, I was like, whoa, it's not as bad as I thought. This this fear of the unknown turned out to be inconvenient, uncomfortable, but it, it wasn't as bad as I had made it out to be in my head. And now I'm okay with getting benighted. That is a great story. You know, one of the other parts of it is that you weren't alone. So there was strength and power in feeling like you were going through this with other people. Absolutely. How, how important is a network or a community or a support system when you are going through your tough journeys? Well, I think the reality is, is we're never alone, but yet we seem to feel like we are so often. And I think so many of us are all experiencing this feeling of alone when we have a community and all we need to do is reach out. And so to, to answer your question, I think having a community, having a support group, having people that we care, that care for us and we care about is huge to the success of any, any of us. I, I agree. I mean, maybe there's so many places I want to go with this conversation. Maybe we should talk a little bit about relationships here and talk about, you know, you and your mission with your husband, Mark, and the things you're doing in this world, how you came together. So maybe share the story of how you two met. Bring it on. (laughs) So this October, I'll be married for 11 years. I met Mark when I was 24. And I was asking this other boy if he wanted to go out and hike a mountain and watch the sunrise with me. And the other boy was humming and hawing. And my husband's like, I'll go. And I was like, okay. And so he joins me on this. He was telling a bunch of bad jokes. It was so funny. He was so nervous. It was really cute. And just in that moment, I was like, wow, man, who wants to adventure with me? Like, this is, this is incredible. And then the next day we went out, we went out, we went out again. And he was telling me about how he took an expedition to South America and Peru. And he climbed these big mountains and it was really impactful for him. But what really made the difference is when he came back down into the town and he started playing soccer with some of the local kids. And he actually got a little teary-eyed because of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is the man for me. Someone who loves adventure, but also wants to give back and be a part of be a part of other people's lives. And so I'm like, he's not just a selfish adventurer, he has more capacity to that. And so then let's see, two weeks later he said he wanted to marry me. Three months later he proposed and seven months later we were married. 
So you got married at 24? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Hey, me too. This oh, is amazing. Awesome. And um, and you're still rolling, and 11 years is, is huge. I'm sure so much has happened. What I love about this story, I love a lot about it. First of all, you were asking another guy out on a date, basically. And Mark kind of pushed his way in, right? I was also dating somebody at the time, too. <laughs> oh, so you were going, you were asking a different guy out. I love this. It's getting really, this is, hey, you're 24 years old. I mean, what do people expect? <laughs> right. You're just trying to find someone to go adventure with, right? Well, and the thing is, you know, at 24, not a lot of people are climbing mountains to see sunsets. I mean, that's that requires uh, a, a different kind of back upbringing, I guess, that, that many people I know didn't have. So you said you grew up in, in Ure. That's how you pronounce it, right? Ure? Yes. Ure, Ure. It's Ure after Chief Ure. Oh, Chief Ure. And it's one of the climbing like capitals of the world, isn't it? For ice climbing, correct. Yep. But is, did you, you know, your first sport in the first place that you really came to understand that beautiful suffering edge of sport was through running. So was climbing the sport that you gravitated to next? Tell us a little bit about your athletic background. Well, my brother, my older brother was really into climbing and he would, he built a climbing gym in his room and we'd go out and hang up ropes all over Uray and climb up things. And so I started doing that when I was 11. Um, and before that, my mom got us into skiing. So I think I started skiing when I was like three. So we've always been a pretty athletic family. And so I climbed with my brother, both my brothers throughout high school. And then when I went off to college, I, I kind of struggled to find the right partner that I trusted to go climbing with. My brother, my younger brother got dropped and had a big accident. And so it just put up some, some big cautious flags around who you go climbing with. And so then I took on different sports in college and I went to CU and I was on the crew team. And then I transferred to Gunnison and joined the cross country ski team. So I was always in sport, like I always loved it, but I've definitely have a variety. And I remember thinking to myself, I hope I meet a man who likes to climb because I really love climbing and I want to do that more in my life. So when I met Mark and he was a mountain guide and a climber, I was like, whew, hands down. He's the one. And so I want to go back to, um, you said your, your brother got dropped. Okay. A lot of people listening are not as familiar with some of the terms used and, and that when that happened to your brother, it initiated some fear or concern in you. So tell us a little bit more about, I, cause I consider that maybe a defining, oh, a defining incident in your life that made you go a different direction for a while. Right. Correct. Well, climbing is an interesting sport. Climbing is incredibly safe if done correctly, but if done incorrectly, it can be life-threatening. You know, there's the same consequences with running or biking, but they're not, if you crash on your bike, maybe you break a collarbone, maybe you break your wrist. If you do something incorrect a couple hundred feet off a rock, it could be your life. And so, so yeah, with that, you just, I learned very quickly that when it comes to that environment, I wanted to be with people that I could full-heartedly 100% trust. Because when, when you climb, you usually don't climb alone? You know, climbing usually involves two partners with a rope, and you climb together, and you're placing different pieces of gear in the rock. And so if someone does fall, the rope will catch them, and 
there's little to no consequence as long as the gear is placed correctly, the anchors are built correctly, and your and your partner is engaged and belaying you properly. And this is interesting to me because my little five-year-old of all the sports out there, you're going to like this, <laughs> all the sports that I did and Tim did, the sport that she's gravitated to so far is climbing at the ABC oh. gym in Boulder. Oh, fantastic. I know. And she she's phenomenal. I mean, it's just so fun to watch and to see some potential sort of innate talent coming out where she's sort of understands and knows innately where to go, where to go on the wall, you know? Well, one thing I think is so beautiful about climbing is there's a, there can be a competitive component to it, but it's more just being competitive with yourself and seeing what your potential is, seeing how your body can move, seeing how you can engage mentally to overcome the fear of falling or the fear of pushing yourself beyond your own limits. So I think climbing really does have this powerful way to just bring you into that present moment and expand you at the same time. This is actually a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation for me because I have a fear of heights that I didn't know I had until it showed itself when I was climbing um, Long's Peak with my husband, his brothers in, um, gosh, when I was 24, 25 years old. And all of a sudden I'm having panic attacks and like feeling like I could just fall right off. And so it was creating a physical reaction in my body. And I've never, I've, anytime I come upon um, places that have steep drop-offs, even if I'm riding my bike and it's like so obvious that I'm not going to fall right down, I can feel the physical reaction of my body. So I know some people listening probably understand what I'm talking about, and maybe you've helped people who have this. What um, Can you explain, like, what is that fear that I'm feeling, and how do you help people overcome that? Well, I believe there's two types of fear. There's rational fear and there's irrational fear. Humans were not designed to hang off cliffs. Humans were not designed to walk up to cliffs and then lean off them backwards and go down them with ropes or what have you. So it's, it's a rational fear to be afraid of heights. And then in your circumstance, depending on where you are in that moment, is your fear rational or irrational? Make that decision or distinction. And then the next question I would ask is, what inside of me is so afraid? Well, and what if the answer is, I think I'm going to fall down the hill and die? Well, and like, then I think... <laughs> and, so, and, that's, and that's where I think you need to bring the rational irrational. Are you eight feet back from the cliff? Are you tied into a rope? Are you standing in a skyscraper with windows? I mean, this fear can come up in many different ways, right? Standing in a skyscraper looking out a window and having this, this visceral feeling in your body and your, your palms are sweating and you know you start to breathe fast. Are you actually going to fall out that window at that moment? That's a really good point. And so when you you know, when people share with you that maybe this is one of their issues, how do you help them overcome it? Is it emotional, mental? Can you train to overcome it? It depends if you're willing. <laughs> but yes, I believe you can. And it's it, we start simple and we start with the mental side of it. And once we start to understand, and, and basically we come up to that, that fear barrier. So you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. 
And then at some point walking up to that cliff, you, you stop and you freak out, whether it's 12 feet, whether it's two feet, whether it's your toes hanging over the edge, it's different for everybody. And so you come to that point and you're like, okay, here's my fear boundary. What am I going to do? I'm going to recognize it. I see it. I acknowledge it. I accept it. And now I get to decide if I want to move through it or I want it to paralyze me and keep me from ever going any closer. And I think that's a really, and that's what I use for any sort of fear, whether it's fear of heights or fear of the unknown or fear of spiders. It doesn't really matter, but it's recognizing where that barrier is and then making an active choice whether you want to walk through it or not. So for instance, uh, you know, uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable conversations, right? Difficult conversations, whether you have to have one with your boss or your spouse or whatever, fear of all of these things are kind of leading us to how would we handle a situation like this, right? There's a fear of the unknown. There's a boundary. You have to decide if you're going to walk through or not walk through. There's also what you talked about with your story of being benighted, that it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be. What advice do you have for people who know they have to have a difficult conversation and they're not sure how to get themselves through it? Well, I think it's decision on how you want to live, how you want to move and walk through this life. Do you want to live a life in fear or do you want to live a life in love or in truth? And I think with every thought leads to every action, which leads to different outcomes. And so if you're going into a situation where you're going to have a hard conversation, you're like, okay, am I having this hard conversation because I'm afraid or am I having this hard conversation because I need to speak my truth? You know, and kind of see what the underlying purpose or the underlying intention is of this conversation. Or maybe you just clearly want more money or you don't like the work situation, the work environment. But if you're feeling your heart start to pump, your voice get a little shaky, obviously there's fear there. And whenever that shows up in my world, I know it's something I have to face. And I want to live a life that has as little fear as I possibly can because I don't think fear is, for the most part, beneficial. And so anytime I come up against that fear, I will actively choose to go do that thing that I'm afraid of. You know, what other feelings do you think are not beneficial that many people hang on to and live with? Guilt, unforgiveness, blame. I don't, I don't see a lot of good in any of those particular feelings. Can you, let's reframe some of them. What would you, if you said, let go of guilt and embrace what? Let go of blame and embrace what? So I'd say let go of guilt and embrace freedom. Mm, Uh, That's a good one. You know, let go of blame and take personal responsibility for how that situation affected you. Because it doesn't matter what other people do in this world. The only thing you can control is how it affects you. And you decide if it affects you or not. Or you decide if you take offense to it. Or if you put up a barrier or you bring back hate. I mean, that's that's where we get to have the control of our existence and how we want to proceed and move through this world. Uh, really good stuff. So in the at the base level here, you let go of fear and you embrace what? Love. Mm. I love it. <laughs> let's talk let's talk a little bit more about um I want to hear some stories. Some things that have really pushed you to the edge in your life as a climber. You know, did you reach a point where 
you thought this is it, I'm going to die on any of the crazy adventures you've done. And by the way, we talked about this in the intro, but I want to remind you that Janelle has climbed, I don't even know how many summits. How many? 48. My husband and I are doing this big project to climb the 50 classic climbs of North America. And it's never been done before. And we have summited 48 of them. It's absolutely amazing. And in addition to that, I'm sure many, many other adventures, right? These just happen to be with you and your husband, which is a whole nother dynamic. Um, have you had any times where you thought, maybe I'm going to die? Maybe this is, this is it for me. <laughs> uh, it's funny you ask that question, Nicole. Like, it's, I've had rational and irrational, I'm going to die. I've definitely had quite a few of, I, I don't know what's going to happen. The unknown is so frightening. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to die. And it's like, okay, well, like, let's take a step back and, like, look at this. No, you're not actually going to die. You're fine, you know. And, like, if you look forward for the next seven steps, can you make those without dying? Oh, well, yes. And so I've definitely had to break down mountains in that way because my fear was completely irrational. And then on the other side, there has definitely been some other situations that were completely rational. And if I wasn't so stubborn or my husband and I weren't so stubborn together, we should have exited the mountain a lot sooner, but it took a few large blocks of ice to before it actually got our attention and we decided to retreat. So yes, I've had both sides. And so what, what did they teach you? What did those moments teach you? Oh my, that's a great question. So much. And I, I think the big one that, you know, I've sort of been discussing here uh, quite a bit is just the rational the irrational you know and then like recognizing when the fear is rational making active steps to figure out how you can proceed in a way that is safe or as safe as it can be or when it's time to actually turn around and go back home and knowing when to make those decisions and I think over the years of climbing all these mountains like I've been I've been pushing myself in, in the mountains for the last I don't know Professionally, I guess, in the last decade, but I started when, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, 25. I don't know how old I am. Um, but, yeah, with that being said, like, you need to know when to turn around, and I think it's okay as well. Do you do you go through a process of grieving where you're like, I'm a quitter, I quit, or are you someone who can immediately just reframe it into a positive? I can't say this has been true the whole uh, climbing career of mine, but I have learned how to fail quickly. And what I mean by that is you have a failure and you don't beat yourself up. You just do it. You just do it, get it done, grieve and move on. Or fail quickly could also mean like, okay, I'm not going to keep pushing this objective that is not going. I'm just going to turn around and change directions. And turning around and changing directions is how I've come to not look at it as a failure. It's just a shift changing directions. Because what might seem like a failure may have helped avert death. So let's just say, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's that too. But you know, a lot of people listening are, they're trying to do a 10K or their first half marathon and halfway through, they are realizing like something's wrong. I'm throwing up. I'm in the porta potty. My foot hurts in a weird way. You know, there's a point of being stubborn it's the rational and irrational, I guess, right? And this can apply to things that aren't quite as extreme as what you've done. 
So, you know, do you have advice for people when they're not sure if it's real or their head is making it up? Well, let's take a 10K, for example. If you haven't done much running in your life and you, you toe up to the starting line, maybe you got some new kicks, and so you start running, and next thing you know, you have a hot spot on your pinky toe. Like, is that something you should stop and tend to, or is that something you should push through and come to the finish line? And that's a good question. Like, that, that brings it right down to it. Is, it a, is your foot going to fall off if you continue running? Mm, probably not. Are you going to endure a little bit of pain and suffering to finish your first 10K? Yes, you will. And is it worth it or not worth it? And to different people, it's going to look differently. Yeah, that's a great point. Whereas if you're starting a five-day stage race and you have a hot spot right at the beginning, that may have a different, a different. I don't know, you may take a different tack early on. Absolutely. And I think the same goes for a mountaineering expedition. If you have a hot spot, you, you pull over, you take off your boots and you tend to it right away because you know you're going to have to work with that same thing over time. So there's a point where you are smart in how you proceed and you don't need to suffer. And then there's times where there's just inevitable suffering. Having not taking care of a blister, it's kind of self-inflicted suffering. Is it a necessary part or journey for you to take? I don't know. Maybe I've definitely had friends who've had blisters and they're like, yes, this just makes me stronger. And they just push right through it. And I'm like, well, if you were just to care for that, then maybe you could go for next two days. So it's, it's very personal. Yeah, that's true. And I think, you know, it actually takes going through those situations and maybe pushing past the point of, uh, what's pain into possibly injury to know the sign. It's really hard to know when something's pushing into like the injury realm until you go there. It's like bonking, right? Absolutely. I mean, how yeah. would you ever know? It, like, I don't know anyone who's never bonked. And by bonking, most people listening know what that means. But it's like you're, you're either training or you're racing and you're going along just fine. And all of a sudden you start to feel some weird emotions and then suddenly you have no energy. And usually what it means is that you forgot to eat or drink or, you know, something in your body chemistry went off and boom, you need, <laughs> you need sustenance usually, but you don't know the signs of the bonk until you actually go all the way through the signs into the bonk, right? Well, wouldn't you say that you need to experience that? Like, that's not something someone would be like, don't bonk, don't bonk, don't bonk. But like, you almost need to have that experience for yourself so then you know how to proceed when you're training. Would you agree? Absolutely. Totally agree. I actually don't know how you could do it without. And in your world and the things you do, it's just that the level of danger and what's on the line is higher, right? When you're training for a 5K and you bonk for your first time, I mean, the worst thing that happens is you're just laying around on your living room floor, like kind of complaining, and trying to figure out what happened. But I mean, when you're out there in the elements, that's a scary place to bonk for the first time. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, everything's a progression. Like I was, you know, I was at that point and it's just where I am now is just because I've, I've had those points from, you know, running my first 10 K running my first marathon, you know, and it's, so it's been building on top of it. And so you just learn as you go and what you can do just gets, it expands as you get a skill set and as you get a comfort level and you learn how to avoid bonking 
take care of blisters, <laughs> carry heavy backpacks, you know? Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit then about the sport that you have gotten into more recently where you've been a national champion, which is called ski mountaineering, right? I didn't know what ski mountaineering was. I'm not a skier and I didn't grow up skiing, which is a bummer, but I'm getting into it a little bit. Um, but my husband, <laughs> Tim, you know, us, we endurance athletes who, who know how to go out for long hours and punish ourselves in the winter, we always kind of, we didn't embrace winter because we couldn't be on our bikes and running was a little bit tougher to do on the trails when it was that cold and with all the snow and, and ice especially. So we would just sort of like, okay, we got to do indoor bike rides and whatever. Well, guess what? Tim discovered this beautiful sport where you basically run up mountains with skis on and ski down. <laughs> and I've watched some of your incredible videos, by the way, um, which we will, I am going to be posting here on the, uh, on the show notes page. So everybody, you need to go over there and watch some of these incredible videos of Janelle doing the, this cool sport. But um, tell us a little bit about what drew you to ski mountaineering. How does it feed your soul? Well, I mentioned I grew up skiing, and I always just loved being outside. I've always loved winter. And then I got into cross-country ski racing in college, and I didn't know how to do it. And so I was actually learning while racing. And I think my biggest success ski racing in college was not coming in dead last. So I felt like that was a pretty big win for me, um, you know. And so once I finished, graduated college, there was this new sport that was coming into play called ski mountaineering and it was put on by this guy named Pete Swinson and it was the cosmic series Colorado ski mountaineering I can't think of the acronym right now that's kind of embarrassing anyways the cosmic series and so I jumped in and I was on teleskis at the time and I was like wait you get to skin uphill and then you get to race down as fast as you can this is incredible this is like taking nordic skiing and putting it on steroids and so I was pretty psyched because it had the endurance, it had the speed. I was all about it. And I started doing really well on my on my telemark skis. And so over, I think it took me four or five years before I finally got the the lightweight, like race gear, the, the, the ski, like the alpine touring stuff. And one of my girlfriends was like, hey, you know, you should go to the national championship up in Wyoming. And I'm like, oh, no, I was, I was way too afraid to go because I just, you know, I kind of, didn't really want to become, I don't, uh, there's just a lot of fear around going, the what ifs, the failure, blah, blah, blah. And so I didn't go. And then finally next year, she's like, if you don't get in the car and drive up to the national championship, I'm going to throw you in the car and drive you up there. And I was like, fine. And so I went and I was totally underdog. No one knew who I was. I'd only done Colorado races, local races. And somehow when I was out there, I just got into this like I don't know. I, I, can't, I don't know how else to call it other than like sheer bliss. Like I was moving and I was just in the zone and everything. It just seemed like was just unreal. I don't, I don't know how to describe that feeling. I'm sure some of you can relate to this when you're out there exercising, you just get in this zone of just like happiness. And I just was going and going and going, wasn't really paying attention to anything else. And I ended up crossing the finish line first and for, for a female. And after that, I, some sponsors came to me and asked if I'd wear their boots and that was the beginning of a 10-year career in ski mountaineering racing which had taken me all over Europe all over the place really to race and compete and it, it was a really neat journey and so you've retired from that career 
Um, I maybe. <laughs> Does one ever really retire? I <laughs> am. I am going to shift my focus this winter to uh, some climbing objectives that I want to accomplish. But I don't know. I don't think I'll ever be completely finished with ski mountaineering racing or the sport just because it's it's so fun. And it's just a great way to take that endurance and that joy and, and it makes you love winter. Do you think um, you're right? It makes you love winters. This this interview is all about reframing stuff. Do you do you think that um, ski mountaineering for people who have access to ski areas where you can do this um, is a good cross training opportunity for endurance athletes? Oh, it's an excellent cross training. There's been so many runners and mountain bike racers that have recently got into the ski mountaineering circuit and they are just I mean first of all it's really good for your body to switch up your sports I think just as far as like mentally just something new and fresh and physically just some different movements so I think in both of those ways it makes you a better athlete and you meet a new group of people and if you have access to it it's it's just fun it's a whole new set of gear to get all geeky and fun about and talk about weight and carbon fiber and I don't know. It's fantastic. And the places it takes you, it would definitely refresh you if you're getting a little bored in your, in your sport or you need just something to just give it in a little extra kick. Fantastic. You know, for all of, um, all of our marathon training friends, maybe a really cool, may, wouldn't be so much of a racecation because it would be sort of an eventcation <laughs> um, option would be to come out to some great mountain town, maybe in Colorado by me and I'll join you and, uh, and take some ski mountaineering lessons and do an expedition. Or maybe we go up and work with Janelle and her husband, yeah. Mark, because I do believe this is what you do now for a living. That is correct. I feel so fortunate to have had this incredible career in the mountains and I've, I've learned the skill set, I've learned endurance, nutrition, and I've taken a uh, holistic coaching course and so I'm certified in that. And so now I want to combine, or now I am combining the holistic coaching and mountain guiding. And so I want to share with you my passion for the mountains in a way that helps you get to your next stage of development. And why are the mountains important? They're just so beautiful. <laughs> um, the mountains are important because of what they invoke inside of people. Like you just can't help it. When you see beauty, your heart expands, your heart opens. And there's something powerful about pushing yourself and becoming vulnerable and being okay with that vulnerability and allowing for the next stage of growth to happen. And I think mountains and sport allow that to happen in a way that is seamless. Mm, yes. And when you come to, when you decide for the person listening that you need this, that you're going to look up Janelle and JanelleSmiley.com and decide to do an expedition with her or do some coaching, um, it's the vulnerability that has to be there. It goes back to when you said, do I really want to walk through this door and face this fear boundary? Because if you don't, don't do it. But if you're feeling that little tingle in your gut right now, that's like, I don't even know what this is, but there's something here that's telling me that I need to push through. You're the person who needs to, to really take a deep dive and consider this. So Janelle, tell us a little bit more about SALT. 
Okay, I'll leave it at that. (laughs) So salt is something that came to me when I was 21. And I was just trying to figure out how life worked and what it, you know, how to move in it. And I was exposed to different religious organizations. And I don't know, I just felt like there was some truth in those organizations. But I also felt like there's sometimes love was just lacking and I just didn't understand it. And so I started my life motto of seeking after love and truth. And wherever I found love and wherever I found truth, I would gravitate toward it and try to learn as much as I could from it because that's what I wanted in life. And trust me, I don't do it perfectly. I don't think any of us will, but I, I strive for that. And that's that's my goal. And so sen- since then, SALT has shifted into a little bit more of a model of live simply a life extraordinary. And so I want to live an extraordinary life. I want to join and partner with other people to live their extraordinary life. And it's going to look different for all of us. All of us have different dreams and different hopes and different goals. And I want to help be a facilitator of helping that come true for the people that I work with. And I know when I come up against <laughs> come up against my boundaries, I have to push through them. And so I'm hoping by being an athlete and continuing to push what I'm capable of gives me the experience to then share that with other folks. And I have a great example on that note is I took a I took a woman climbing this summer and she's working on climbing 5'8 without falling. And I'm there and we're working together. And then we get done, she gets tired. And she's like, okay, Janelle, jump on something something hard. I want to blow you. And I'm like, no, no, this day is all about you. And she's like, no, 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 I want to watch you. I was like, okay. So I get on something much harder and I fall off of it and I struggle my way up it. And I get back down and she's like, you know, that was so cool to watch. Like, that was the best. And I was like, why why was that so exciting for you? And she's like, because you struggled, but you didn't give up and you kept pushing. And that shows me what I am capable of doing as well. And I was like, huh, I never looked at it that way. And so I feel like these two things complement each other super well. And I guess I just want to take the gifts and talents I have and give them back to those who would like to also share that same idea of living an extraordinary life. That's so beautiful. I don't think that it's common that athletes of your level that have accomplished what you've accomplished go on to, you know, have this desire to coach at that level. I mean, you know, what you've done in sport, it requires um, a lot of selfishness, to be honest. I mean, These are individual pursuits. It's you and yourself out there. And a lot of athletes can't reach a point and never reach a point. And that's okay. I mean, this everybody's different where they come through that and actually want to give back to people on that same level. What is it in you that tapped into that need to help others? Well, ever since I was young, like I always found more joy in serving others. And it's a funny balance because I think it's really, really important to take care of yourself. And so you have something to give. I There's been different periods of my life where I've just given and given and given and had nothing left and felt totally depleted. And I found now when I go out and push myself and grow and learn, it gives me like this energy that is like unstoppable. And then when I can take, but I need to put that energy somewhere. And I love taking that energy and pouring it into somebody who's maybe just awakening their mountain athlete or someone who's just finding the mountains for the first time but is motivated 
and wants to learn and be a part of this progression. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I've found so much joy in watching a couple of my little mentees. I call them little because they're 21. There's two of them that are 21. Um, but like watching them grow and I don't know, it just, I'm like all that work, everything I did in my life to get to where I am, now I'm seeing it benefit other people's lives. And I, I can't get over how much joy that brings me. How would you appeal to a beginner, say a 50-year-old woman who isn't athletic but knows that she feels that tingle in her gut and she knows she wants to tap into a new part of herself? What would you say to her? How would you start her on her journey? Well, it's funny that you say a 50-year-old because I just started working with a woman who's 50 who wants to climb Mount Kenya in Africa. And she's like, Janelle, I don't know how to do it. Will you help me get there? And so we've gotten together every 10 days all summer long and we've started easy and I've just worked with her on this very gentle progression to help give her the mental confidence and the physical confidence to prepare her for this climb that she wants to do. And so it's, it's a matter of taking small steps. It's a matter of looking at your eating choices looking at how much physical activity you're getting, looking at what mental blocks and barriers there are, looking at what kind of emotional support you have for this next step in this journey that you have, and taking all of these different components and acting on them. And just taking a step, starting. Just taking a step and starting. I love that. You know, what makes you so special and unique is most people either specialize on the practical side. You mentioned, you know, your food choices, the gear, the technical part of whatever sport or, or thing they're trying to learn. And then other people focus on the holistic, not holistic, the uh, spiritual side, right? So they're all about the innate, what, what helps drive you, um, the mental toughness, all the emotional factors, but not many people take the holistic approach like you do. And, and know from personal experience because of the hell you put yourself through over time in your life, um, you know, to be able to relate those experiences, this is absolutely unique. And I can, I'm right now I'm sitting here going, I wonder what week I can come out and work with, you know, because <laughs> it feels like we could all use this. You know? Well, and I think the experiences that you have in the mountains, whether they're alone, whether they're with other people or whether they're with your spouse, they bring out aspects that directly translate to your normal everyday life, whether it's in your career or with your family or with your neighborhood. And I think it helps to shift your perspective in a way that's just more loving. And so I love the way that the two of, you know, having an outdoor adventure can help complement and enhance your your everyday life. It's true. Well, and on that note, you are one of the few lucky people in this world who turned her passion into her business. So is this really possible for most people? Can people really? A lot of people say, well, it's easy to find happiness at your job. Figure out what you love and then turn it into a job. But like how realistic is that? And, and what do you suggest for the people who have come to find themselves feeling like their work and their passions are not in alignment? Well, I think it would might take a couple coaching sessions to work through that with each individual person, but I think it comes down to like what we all want is different. 
and just coming to grips with what what you really want and what you really desire. Like sometimes people really do want their their work to be their passion and it and it works out. Some people really want it to but they're afraid. So the possibility of it could be could work out if they so choose. And then other people actually like to have them separate. And so I don't think there's like a there's definitely no one answer for every person, but I do think it, it does come down to like following like your heart and following where the energy is. Like, are you feeling depressed? Are you feeling let down? Are you feeling bogged down because of the work that you're in? If that is the case, there's a pretty good chance you either need to shift your perspective in that work or potentially find different work because you shouldn't have to live a life where you're like dreading the next day that you have to go back to work. I don't think we are designed for that at all. Is there going to have to be some shifts in your life? Are there going to have to be some compromises? Yes, more, more definitely. You know, in the life that I've lived and the path that I've, I've walked, I've had to make some compromises. I've had to, I don't want to use the word sacrifice, but I have chosen some comforts over other comforts or freedom over comfort because I am following that passion and that drive in my, in my heart. And I'm also, I guess I'm just one of those individuals who believes it is possible. And so I've just spent my whole life chasing it. Mm, I like that. Well, you know, we've, we've been going for a while here. I do have a few more questions. Maybe, maybe they're easy ones. I don't know. And then we'll, we'll start wrapping it up, but do you have a little more time for us today? Sure. Do you want me to just use yes or no answers to make it go quicker? <laughs> no way. This isn't going to be yes or no. Well, if it's, if okay. it's easy, I know. I love it. Um, all right. So, Imagine you're you're climbing a mountain. You've decided you're going to go do a climb. Is there a common emotion that always arises when you take your first step on each journey? I think as soon as you take that first step, there's almost like this release or this this all the prep is done. All the work is over, and it's almost as if when you take that first step, you can actually relax, and you're like, okay, okay, I'm in it. It's happening, and it's, I can't describe it any other way than just a a full body relax. Isn't that amazing that when you start the physical labor, you relax? I wonder if that's the same for everybody, though. I don't know. Well, <laughs> that'd be I mean, a good question. It, it may <laughs> depend on the sport too, and the, the and the goal. But and so then, after you achieve an, a feat, or you have to go, leave early and not achieve it, is there a letdown afterward? And how do you how do you handle that roller coaster? Well, I think that also too depends on the objective. Like this traverse I just did last week. I'm still riding on that high, to be honest with you. Like my body is still a little fatigued and it feels fantastic. There's been other times where, you know, you do come off a mountain and you didn't reach your intended your intended goal and you come off of it and there's been times where you, you are, you're just a little, you're kind of low for a while. Um, but I think both of those are necessary in the development and the learning and so do you recommend that people um, do something or how do you handle that, especially the negative downside? Because, you know, a lot of people suffer from depression or, or other, other issues may also come out during those periods and it can end up being almost dangerous. So how do you help people cope during that time? 
Well, I think that goes back to that same thing I said earlier about failing quickly and learning to disassociate the feeling that you're having with who you are. And there's this incredible, incredible author who talks about um, shifting it from saying, I am depressed, instead being something inside of me is depressed. And I know there's many authors that say the same thing in many ways, but it's the idea of not being like, I am depressed, but something inside of me is feeling depressed, allows you to be curious about it and, and get to know it and wonder why it's happening. And so I've incorporated that into my world quite a bit, especially when things don't go the way that I want to. Or, for example, say I get jealous of somebody. I'm like, oh, I'm such a jealous person. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. Something inside of me is feeling jealous. jealous. And then I'm like, oh, why am I jealous? I'm like, well, because she's this or faster that or whatever. And then I'm like, oh. And I'm like, well, is that my lot in life? Is that the path I'm supposed to be going on? And I'm like, oh, no. And then all of a sudden it, it can shift for me and I can just celebrate with that other person and know that my path is a different way. So I don't know, that's very helpful for me. Oh, I think that's great. You know, I want to talk a little more about the um, holistic life guiding and, and how on your website, you talk about the fact that you believe that every person has hidden talents and gifts. And I don't think that most of us think about those hidden talents and gifts we have and nurture them and celebrate them like we should you know, without giving away the farm, because I mean, hey, people need to find this on their own and they need to come visit with you or whatever they need to do. Do you have any tips to help them start the process of discovering and unlocking those things? You know, I think the first step is really just getting real with yourself and separating what other people think or the projections or the ideas that other people have had on you, whether it's society, I should do this, or whether it's your parents, I should do this, you know, even those that are closest to you, oh, you should be like this, or you should act this way. I think it's a process of really just getting real with what exactly do I want? Who do I want to be? You know, and not being like, well, I was this, but being like, okay, who am I now? And who can I be in the future? Like you get to create who you want to be and how you want to live your life. And I think so many of us are just trapped in this belief system of like, oh, it happens for them, but not me. And that's just not true. So it's a matter of, I think, getting with yourself, being still with yourself, going for a walk with yourself, whatever it takes for you just to like break down all these layers and all these defenses that you've developed over time to really see what exactly you really, really want. Um, like, I think it's easy to look at other people who are successful and be like, oh, I want to be like her. No, you don't. You want to be like you and whatever that form shows up as and you know I mean look at you Nicole like you've built an incredible business you've done all this like you're you're following to me it feels like you're totally following your heart and following your passion and creating this community that's super inclusive because you feel like that's important and I love that like I love seeing all this happen what you're doing in Boulder how you're bringing skirts into sports and bringing all these women together because that's your heart and that's your passion and that's going to look very different for me in the way that I express myself in my gifts and my talents. And so I guess that's roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> yeah, and but you're in your first point. Well, thank you, because I do love what I do. But the point is that every once in a while, even I will go into a phase where, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Am I really on the right path? I mean, 
We all go through these times in our lives and they're super emotional. And your point of getting real and sitting with yourself, that's that shit is tough and serious and like can bring up all kinds of things that you're afraid to let come up because you know that they could change your life and put you on a different path. While it might be better, it could be uncomfortable, right? But this is the this is the point. It's about evolving and continuing to tap into those gems and that that beautiful place and path that we're all supposed to be going down, right? I 100% agree with you. And you know, you don't arrive, you know, like as soon as you think you're a patient person, all sorts of things are going to pop up to test your patience, you know, and that's just the, that's just the joy of life, I think. Well, is there a finish line? Uh, I think, I think death might be the finish line. (laughs) As far as we know, I don't know. And what's crazy is we do all these races and we, you know, summit mountains and do all kinds of cool things that have physical finish lines. But if you can really step back and realize that there is no greater finish line, I think it helps helps gain perspective. Well, and they're they're all just events. Everything happening to us is just an event. We choose if it's good or bad. Like we judge it ourselves. But really, it's all just events in our lives that happening to help us to reach our potential, if we so choose to go down that path and be open to it. Yeah. Okay. One one question. Before our final question, um, you have done so many, speaking of events, incredible events of all kinds in your life. And often people will be like, oh, I'm sure her favorite one or her best story is the time she won this, that, or whatever. But that's not always the case. It might be. So I wondered, what, what event stands out to you as the most memorable for whatever reason and why? The best event that has ever happened to me is getting double hip surgery, hands down. Really? And the reason I say that is because before that, I was so consumed with running away from my emotions and trying to get love by achieving and winning. And I think getting hip surgery forced me to sit still, to get to know who I am, and forced me to befriend myself. And I would say that event started me on a path of learning how to accept myself, the good, the bad, the ugly, and live from a place where I don't need external validation because that validation comes internally. And I think that was the greatest starting point for the biggest transition that I've ever had in my life. And that's what I love about you (laughs) because you're willing to put yourself out there You know, from the outside, we all look a certain way, but on the inside, we've all had our own journeys. So thank you for sharing that. Um, All right, Janelle, last question. And I ask this of every person who comes on the show. And it is, if you could give our listeners one final piece of advice, one nugget that would help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I guess the first thing that comes into my mind is stop judging yourself. Just accept. I love it. Just accept. Boom. Bam. That doesn't mean you can't change, but it also just means like, accept where you are in the moment, you know, accept the feelings you're having. And if you don't like them, make active steps 
to live or to look at life differently. That is a great message. I uh, I am also at a point in my life where I am embracing a lot of things about myself and my journey that, you know, it just takes a long time sometimes to get there. And so this message is important to me, and I'm sure so many people listening will also agree. You are just such a bright light. Thank you so much for all your time. I mean, we didn't even get too much into your name, which is, I believe your husband's last name is Smiley, right? That's correct. I mean, you kind of had to take his name. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> cool name. and uh, But it's a lot to live up to. So I really appreciate that uh, you have come to this place in your life and you are here to help others. Thanks so much for coming on the show and being so open and honest with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy to get to share this hour with you and get to know you over these you know, last few months. And so I really appreciate the time you've taken to hear my story. Well, let's keep it up. All right. Sounds and, excellent. And I'll see you at one of your retreats. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I would, I would love that. You and your husband need to come out and do a climb with us and we can uh, face some of those fears and we can have a shared, shared adventure. Awesome. I love it. Thank you. All right. Have a wonderful day. Wow. <laughs> what a great conversation. Um, after I hit stop on the recording, Janelle and I kept talking and I just realized it t- we were on the phone for another 30, 45 minutes. So maybe I should have just left it running because we had some more good stuff that came out. You know, the point is that when you feel a connection to someone who helps you get out of your own way and dig deep into what makes you tick, you just want to keep going. And in the end, Janelle's final nugget really gets to the heart of what we all battle often on a daily basis. She said, stop judging yourself. Just accept who you are, and then you can truly find your life extraordinary. How cool is she? It's true. Stop judging. What value does judging yourself have in your life? How much energy do you want to put towards judging yourself? Acceptance is the key to happiness. That is my take on it, and I'm putting my foot down. (laughs) If you want to connect with Janelle, head over to the show notes and look her up. You can find her at JanelleSmiley.com. It's uh, J-A-N-E-L-L-E-S-M-I-L-E-Y.com. Uh, She and her husband also have a website called The Smiley Project where they, they do some things together. Uh, Check out her guided expeditions or or some of her coaching options. Um, I might, I just might have to join you. So let me know if you're going to do it. All right, everyone. This was such a long and incredible and beautiful episode. I am going to let you go and absorb all that goodness. Thank you so much for your time and energy today. As always, you know where to find me. But in the meantime, you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.